That movie, have, have you seen Miracles from Heaven, some of you? It's a great movie. If you get a chance to see it, I encourage you to uh, check it out. I think you can rent it. And uh, it was put out a couple years ago. It's a fascinating movie because it's a story of the miraculous working power of God in a family's life that really had come to the end of their faith and end of hope. They had taken their daughter who had a terminal illness and they took her to the, all the different doctors. Some of them couldn't understand what she was diagnosed with. Finally, they found a doctor, uh, I think in Boston it was, that would take her and he did all the tests, did everything that he could to help her and finally he came to the conclusion, there's nothing we can do. It's incurable. They took her home and then as they were... Uh, ready for her to pass away and die, her other sister, her older sister, said, why don't we go climbing on the tree like we usually did when you were better? And so they went up and climbed on a tree. Well, the branch of the tree couldn't hold them, and the one girl fell off. The girl that was sick fell into the rotted trunk of the tree, dropped 30 feet down, hit her head on the base of underneath that tree, inside the tree. And they had to take, you know, they had to come and bring the EMTs and everybody, uh, the fire department, to pull her out of there. They thought she was dead. And miraculously, the way that she hit her head did something that healed her. Now, some would say, well, that's quite a coincidence. You know, that's remarkable that this girl was up on this tree, fell down in the trunk of a rotted tree, fell into the bottom of it, hit her head in such a way that it healed her of this incurable disease. And she went back to the doctors and they confirmed it. It was, she was healed. You know, we live in a society today that's very materialistic, naturalistic. We try to explain things as best as we can by just the natural laws that go on. So somebody could actually say this was a coincidence. I was looking up in the Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics, and it said this about a coincidence. Something that happens by chance is a surprising and remarkable way. In such a surprising and remarkable way is a coincidence. But a miracle is a special act of God that interrupts the natural course of events. So what would you call that? Would you call what happened to this little girl a miracle? Or would you call it a coincidence? Well, I think it has to do with what you believe about God. I really think it it all depends upon where you, what you think about who God is and his power to do even beyond what the natural could do, even beyond what medicine can do. Now, I know that there's people here today, you've seen God's miraculous happen. Now, miraculous is that the difference between this is that God intervenes in a situation. Now, what other people would call coincidence, God would call his hand at work. When circumstances, events, even seeing the right doctor at the right time, God can use it all to bring about healing. 
So I'm not saying that every miracle has to be attributed without doctors. No, what I'm saying is that sometimes God uses doctors, sometimes he uses medicine, sometimes he does things that are totally, completely out of our understanding of why he did it the way that he does it. But that God intervenes in human affairs, yes, he does. He intervenes in human affairs, and I know there's people here that have experienced that. I mean, I think about just this year, a, uh, uh, you know, a fate, what should have been a fatal car crash, Michael is sitting right here, right now, right, Michael? Yeah, that's right. God, nothing happened to him, not a scratch on him. God was with you. God miraculously delivered you out of that accident. There's other people that have been, uh, been challenged by things in their life, and God brought them through, brought them to the right doctor at just the right time, and God healed them. And then there's also miracles, not only of healing, but miracles of provision. Some way, God shows up right at the right time. I was at a wedding yesterday, and I was talking to a, a fella that was a little bit older than me. In 1975, he was 18 years of age. And uh, he told me the story of what happened. He said, I lived in Vietnam. I'm Chinese, but I lived in Vietnam, in Chinatown in Vietnam. And when Vietnam fell... When South Vietnam fell to the communists, uh, people had to get out. And you may have known people that have had to get out, had left Vietnam, and it was, it was, some people died on ships that were uh, taken over by pirates or just could not hold the weight of all the people that were trying to escape Vietnam. But he told me this. He said, my father somehow met somebody that had a list of people that were going to be airlifted out that next day. I don't know how my father got me on the list, but he got me on the list. So my sister and I went to the airport. When we got to the airport, my sister's name was on the list, but my name wasn't on the list. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't speak any English. I didn't speak, the only thing I spoke was Chinese. I hardly spoke any Vietnamese. And then all of a sudden, somebody came up to me and said, Let this be your name and get on the plane. I don't know who the person was, but he said, I said, okay. And then he he found himself on the plane taking off with tracer bullets coming at the plane, just escaped, just in time. He ended up in Chinatown in New York City. He went to a Presbyterian church that he found that there was a Presbyterian church in Chinatown. He started going to church there and he met the Lord. He started following Jesus Christ, and he became an elder in the church, and he got married, and I was sitting around a table with all of his children there and some of his grandchildren, and he said, this is a miracle. It's a miracle. I realized it was a miracle after I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I thought it was just maybe just luck or maybe just coincidence, but no, it was a miracle. So how do you view those kind of things that happen to you in your life? God's hand has been involved in each of our lives in a very special way. And you're here today because God wanted you here today. But we have to remember who God is. He is the God of miracles. And if we forget about that, if we just attribute everything to natural causes and don't 
enter into the uh, idea that there's supernatural reasons, then we, we can miss out so much on what God has for us. See, when we come to the New Testament, or even the Old Testament, you know, you see miracles happening in the Old Testament. There's the burning bush that Moses comes up to. It says the bush is on fire, but it's not burned up. And then God speaks to him through the burning bush. And then what does he say to him? He says, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to go back to Egypt and set my people free. See, God had a reason for the miracle. And oftentimes there's reasons for the miracles that happen in our lives, in other people's lives. Or the reason why God wants to do a miracle in our lives. And it's to draw us closer to himself and for him to speak into our lives. And sometimes we miss this most important part of miracles. Because when God does intervene, he's also speaking to us. He's also wanting us to draw closer to him. And Moses goes back, but he doesn't go back in his own strength. He goes back in the strength that God provides, and God uses him in a powerful way. When you look at the New Testament, and you come into the New Testament, you see Jesus comes... He's the greatest revelation of God's love. Jesus is the miracle worker. Remember last week we talked about the supernatural teaching of Jesus Christ and how powerful his authority was when he taught because he taught like nobody else. He would refer to himself as the authority, as the son of God. And nobody had ever done that in history before. But now we come to a place in the Gospels where it's talking about the supernatural power of God and his, not only his authority as a teacher, but as a miracle worker. And when he begins his public ministry, wherever, wherever he goes, there's these miracles of healing taking place, of things happening that are totally, people had never seen it before. Why was that? Because Jesus is God. Because Jesus was God in the flesh. And he came and he ministered God's love. He was revealing God's care. He was revealing that God wanted to intervene and interrupt in our lives and reveal himself and work in our lives in such a way that it could only be attributed to him. So when we look at uh, some of the verses here in uh, Luke 6, 18 and 19. I don't know why this isn't, doesn't seem to be working anymore. They came to hear him and to be healed from their diseases. Those bothered by unclean spirits were, uncle- were healed. The whole crowd wanted to touch him because power was going out from him. And he was healing everyone. You know, you would think that when God is at work and he is doing all these miracles, that people are going to just flock to him and say, I believe, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I will follow you with my whole life. Right? You would do that, wouldn't you? I hope I would. But you know what? Sometimes events happen in our lives that we can attribute things to God, and the next week we forget completely about them. We completely forget about what we were trusting God to do, how we said we would follow him. Same thing happened back then. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. People don't, 
do not believe in him. Very few people place their faith in him. And then Jesus says, uh, just says to him, um, I'm sorry, right here, here. Where did this man, so people, Jesus is, committed, is doing these miracles, and then what happens is that the people start to comment on who Jesus is when he goes back to his hometown. And what they do is they realize they're so familiar with Jesus growing up in their town that they begin to say, where did this man get these things, they ask. You know, what's he talking about? It's almost a sarcastic attitude that they have. What's this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Where are they? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Don't they live among us? See, Jesus was from a family. What do you mean he's the son of God? And they took offense at him. The Bible says they were offended by his authority, the way that he taught, and that he would be willing to heal people. They were skeptical. And then this is what Jesus said. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his hometown. That if you're a prophet, you're going to be accepted by people because people are going to know you're speaking the very words of God. But when you go home and people are familiar with who you are, and they've seen you grow up, and they've seen you act like a child, then it's a little bit different. So they said they didn't believe him. He could, and this is what it says in the comment on it. He could not do any miracles there. He couldn't do any miracles. Why? Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at what? Their lack of faith. They were, he was amazed at their lack of faith that they just saw him as Jesus the carpenter and not Jesus, the Son of God. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, who do we think Jesus is? Who do we look at him as? Is he the Son of God? Is he all-powerful? Is he able to do anything? Is he able to break the natural laws? Is he able to perform miracles today? Then when you read the Gospels, whether it's walking on water, turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes... Healing diseases that were incurable? Delivering people who were bound by sin, shame, forgiveness, or demonic stronghold? He even raised people from the dead. Jesus was able to intervene miraculously no matter what the situation. You know why? Even though it went against the natural laws. You're not supposed to be able to walk on water, but Jesus created the water. It says that He was in the beginning with God and he created all things. So he has the power even over natural things. He calmed the storm. No problem. He created the wind. He raised the dead. He's the author of life. There's nothing that's impossible with him. He even healed leprosy. And so then when we come to Mark chapter 9, I just want to give you a little bit of background, the passage that Pastor, Reed, uh, Pastor Peter read today. 
uh, we want to look back at what was going on during that time. So this is a little bit later on, after Jesus leaves his hometown, and then he goes with his disciples, and they go up into a mountain. And Jesus has already shared with his disciples, the Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to have to suffer, he's going to have to uh, die, he's going to be crucified, and then three days later he's going to raise from the dead, And, of course, the disciples do not comprehend what Jesus is talking about because they're so used to Jesus doing miracles that there's no way he's going to let anybody hurt them. He's just going to continue on in this earthly ministry of doing the miraculous. And so they come up to this mountain. It's called now called the Mount of Transfiguration. And they go up to this mountain... And then Peter, James, and John go with Jesus, the three of them. They're the three closest to Jesus, and he brings them up. He goes, guys, i got to show you something. And then when he goes up there, Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus. But Jesus' clothing is dazzling. I mean, it is just like there is light coming out of him. It said it's the whitest clothing that they'd ever seen before. It was almost like shining. And it was a picture of Jesus' glorified body. It was as though Jesus was glorified after the resurrection, before the resurrection happened. And they got a a picture of who Jesus really was. And then Peter, we understand from the gospel, says, "Uh, what what, what should we do? We'll, We'll build three tabernacles. We'll build three houses for you guys. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and then one for you, Jesus, because, you know, a lot... Moses was the greatest leader. Uh, Elijah was the greatest prophet. And here is you. And so Peter's trying to comprehend what he should do. And then it says in in the scripture, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, there was no longer, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. You see, these three were shown that Jesus is God. He's the one with all authority. He's divine. So they come down from that mountain, and he tells them, don't tell anybody that you've seen this until after I'm resurrected. And he says, I don't don't want people to get confused. I don't know. There's... He says, let's go. So they leave. They go down the mountain. And then all of a sudden they hear the disciples. They're arguing with other people. And there's a big argument taking place. And it appears that there was a father who brought his son, who was very sick, couldn't speak, had been uh, convulsing with seizures. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And the disciples prayed for this young boy, and the young boy wasn't healed. So the religious leaders came by and they said, see, Jesus, you can't do, you know, the, nothing can happen in Jesus' name. You, you don't have any power. And so they were arguing, yes, we have power. You should have saw us before. When we laid hands on people before and Jesus sent us out, people got delivered from demons, people were healed. It was an amazing thing that happened. Well, we didn't see that. And now you can't do anything with this boy. 
And so they were almost mocking the disciples. And then Jesus comes down and he says, you know, what are you arguing about? And then the man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I mean, this is a terrible thing that's happening to this man's son. I don't think there's anything worse than seeing your own children suffer. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You know, when we, that movie that I mentioned earlier before, Miracles of Heaven, this woman, uh, and it's a true story, but the woman uh, played by Jennifer Gardner, she is so desperate for her daughter. When she brings her to the hospital and they say, there's nothing we can do, she says, no, uh, or your, your child is just suffering for acid reflex. She says, No, there's something more that's happening here. I know there's something more. You need to help her. And they fought. She fought and fought and searched and searched on the Internet any way she could to find the right doctor that could help. You know, when when our children are suffering, we're desperate for somebody to help, something to happen. And this is a situation that Jesus is in. Do you think Jesus cares about that? Yes, he does. He cares. She fights to get the best doctor in the country, but even that doesn't help. We don't have all the details of this boy, why he was demonized, what happened to him, how he became demonized, why he was suffering with seizures. We don't understand the background of everything. But we understand that Jesus is willing to intervene. And how does Jesus handle everyone's lack of faith and feeling frustrated and feeling like there's no hope? This is what he says. He confronts them on their faith. He says, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Do you know, there's been times as a pastor, God has said that to me. Now, don't you trust me? But Lord, why are you letting this happen to this family at this time? Bring the family to me. Why are you letting this situation happen Bring the situation to me. You see, we're not able. We don't have the resources to do what Jesus can do. But we have a connection with God through prayer that we can bring the situation and the people that we love and even our own self to Him. A generation of unbelief Even back in the first century, there was a generation of people with unbelief. Many people have told me how we're living in a time we have a generation of people with unbelief. Nobody believes God anymore. 
Nobody's trusting God anymore. We only, we only try to do what we can do naturally. And I'm not saying that God does not use doctors. He does. In fact, one of the ways that God often heals us is by going to medical doctors and getting their help. But the main one we better go to is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who can perform miracles. The one that can break in and work in our lives. You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's just have some positive thinking here. Let's all just think positively and we can change the situation. No, he doesn't say that. He never says that. He says, this is a spiritual battle. In this instance, it was a spiritual battle that was going on for the faith of a generation. And the same battle is going on today. It has gone on since Adam and Eve. A battle for the souls and the minds of people. What do you believe? Who do you truly trust? Who do you truly believe? That's a battle you're going to face all your life. But you don't have to face it alone. You actually can grow and develop your faith and be assured that God is with you and can do things that you can't do yourself. So they brought, it to, so they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately... Threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. It got worse before it got better. Now this is a key, folks. This is a key part of faith and prayer. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital room and it gets worse before it gets better. In fact, it got so worse... I scratched my head and I said, there's no way that guy's going to come out of here alive. And the next, w- next week he walked out. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But that's not the time to make a judgment on God's love for you when it gets worse. Don't think that God doesn't love you when it's getting worse. But maybe he wants to speak something to you. I do believe that. Sometimes when it gets worse, God is trying to say something to us that's even more important than the healing. Or more important than the answer. Or more important than the provision that we think we need. God is working in our lives to speak about something in our commitment to him. So Jesus asked the boy's father... How long has he been like this? He says, from childhood. It often throws him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. What was happening was to this boy, to this child, they loved the the spirit was trying to kill him, trying to throw him into the fire or drown him. What does Jesus, how does Jesus respond to this? He looks at the man's faith. If you can, 
What Jesus is saying, do you know who you're speaking to? He asked the man to turn away from the circumstance in the situation and to look at him. And often in faith, this is what God wants us to do. Everything is possible for him who believes. See, Jesus is addressing unbelief. Everything was stacked up against this boy getting better. He's been like this for a long time. It's always happened this way. Uh, There's really no hope. Even when he does get better, the, the spirit tries to take him and kill him. He's suicidal. There's nothing that we can do. It's it's hopeless. So if you can do anything, if I can, yes, I can. You see, the object of our faith can't be our faith. The object of our faith has to be Jesus. And who we understand Jesus to be. Does he love you? Yes. Does he have a reckless love for you? Yes. Would he kick down walls and climb up mountains for you? Yes, he would. So the suffering that you're going through, the thing that you're struggling with, the decision that you're having to make, does he understand that? Yes. There's a verse in Hebrews that we love, my wife and I. It's her favorite verse. It says this in Hebrews 12, 2, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief, and the one who brings our faith to maturity. The first person we are to look to, the first incentive for our faith is Jesus. It's taken from the Amplified Bible. In in the NIV, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You look at who Jesus is. And Hebrews, the next chapter, says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday as he was back then, today as he is now, and forever. He will be the same. He will be the King of kings, Lord of lords, able to do anything. That's who He is. Well, the son, it says here, immediately the boy's father, understanding he's looking at Jesus, he believes, but I love what he says. It's so honest. I think sometimes we ought to pray this. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I do believe. But I got to tell you, I need to overcome my unbelief because there's so many things that are telling me this, nothing's going to change. I think it's a great way to pray, especially when we're struggling. I believe, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And then what happens, Mark chapter 9, verse 26, 28. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse 
that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? What is it, Jesus? And Jesus says something to them. He says, the reason you couldn't drive him out is because you were trusting on your past experience instead of presently trusting in me in prayer. You're, you're, you're relying on your information instead of relying on mine. And that happens through prayer. So pride, they, he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This kind can only come out by prayer. You see, the disciples were given authority to drive out spirits and heal people. They had done it before, but they were depending on their past experience not on the present power of God. And that's what happens sometimes with people in church. We're looking, we we define what God can do and what he can't do based on our past experience. Well, you know, that person died, so I guess God doesn't heal anymore today. Or, you know, God, he didn't answer that prayer. He did it a different way. And so we sometimes forfeit the grace that God wants to show us and the intervention that he wants to bring in our lives because we're just basing it on our our limited experience. And Jesus said, this can only come out by prayer. When you think about Jesus, he spent time with God, his Father, in prayer. And he said, I can only do the things I see my Father doing. So there's times that we got to get on our face before God, humble ourselves before him and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Could you change what's going on inside of me? This afternoon, if you're facing a difficult situation, if you're in need of healing, There's somebody you're concerned about. And the struggle continues on and on. And you're tired of just dealing it with yourself, by yourself, with your own resources. It's time for God. Maybe He's inviting you to fix your eyes on Him and to come into his presence and let him do what only he can do because he can do the impossible so this morning as we sing the song God of Miracles what is God saying to you is he your God of Miracles You know, when we come to God, we surrender it to Him. Maybe the Lord wants you to surrender something to Him today. Could be your health, could be a loved one, it could be a situation that you're facing. Surrender it to Him. I want to tell you that the 
Uh, front row is open. The altar is open. If you want prayer, just come forward. We'll pray with you during these next two songs. But allow the Lord to speak to you. Allow the Lord to minister to you.